0: to talk about what does a healthy church look like and looking at eight characteristics. Lord, we pray that as we finish up on passionate spirituality, we pray, God, that you'd open our hearts, not just our minds, but our hearts, to becoming more like you want us to be, that we wouldn't be content, Lord, with where we've been, but we would ever push on to the deeper levels of intimacy with you that our spirituality would erupt from us with passion because your spirit lives inside us. So Lord, may we hear the voice of that spirit this morning whispering in our ears to become a little bit different from when we leave this place. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, a few years ago, our international church that's in Cairo, Egypt, was having our Easter service at night. We often have our worship day on friday but because that's the muslim holy day so churches have tended to meet also on friday and so but we had our easter service and because there's so many different churches we had to meet at night and our time slot was 7 p.m and so we are under a tent canopy outside come down a little outside in the open air all year round and so um the worship band was really going great, the songs were joyful, like here we had them put up on a screen so everyone could read the words. Now, little piece of information, back in those a couple, three years ago there was a lot of power outages, a rolling blackouts that Egypt had because there was no gas, natural gas pipeline coming from Israel like there is now, and so... There were frequent power outages because of the shortage, and so you just kind of prayed if you were on an elevator, it didn't happen <laughs> at that time, especially if your, your apartment was on the 11th floor. But at this point, a few minutes into our service, sure enough, the power goes out, and it's going to be at least an hour, and you already knew this. And so now what do you do? You're kind of dependent on electricity, right? Because nobody can read the words and, and you know. If I were to turn this off, you may not be able to hear me all the way at the back. And so, there you go. See, I don't have a (laughs) hugely. And so it's pitch dark. Nobody can read the words. Uh, Nobody can hear anything. And so you're just, you know, as a pastor, your mind is just like it's ruined. Easter's ruined. It's ruined. All this planning has been for nothing. And and so you're kind of distraught. But you know, we got out some candles and we lit them. And the worship uh, leader. He had his uh, acoustic guitar, and he's strumming along, and he has to now pick different songs that everybody already knows the words to, and if a few didn't know the words, they got their cell phones out, and did you know you could find words to songs in your cell phone? So, and uh, and so, so, you know, we, we got along, and there we are in the dark, just singing together with candles going, and I have to say, God met us in an amazing way. That night, a sense of community enveloped the service, and God showed us that He comes to meet us no matter what the style of worship, no matter what the facility, and no matter what the power situation is, because He showed us that His presence is more important than our power. An important lesson and theme for today God's presence is more important than all of our efforts and all of our programs and all of our styles. Presence is more important than power. And you know what? Even years later, when some people were sharing memories, as they were because we had a lot of turnover, and they would share, oh, the most memorable time, and they would cite this Easter service, which wasn't at all what we planned. But God had a different idea, and God met us in an amazing way. So a speaker once asked this challenging question. At least I found it challenging. Are you more interested in God's hand or in God's face? Now, what does that mean? What he meant was, do you want the things that God does or do you crave more just being with God in his presence? Because there's a big difference. Not to say his hand doesn't matter, but, you know what does it mean without his presence? And so I found that challenging. It kind of rocked my world a little bit. And and so how would you answer that question? Because as we look at what does it mean to be passionately spiritual or let your spirituality come out passionately, we're going to talk today about seeking God's face. That's kind of the theme that will be in the points. If you want to take your outline out, by the way, in your bulletin and And follow along, we're going to talk about seeking God's face. And we're going to start in Psalm 24, verse 3, which poses a very challenging question. It says, who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Now, ascend is not talking about Gary Rumley going up Killer Hill in Bloomsday, okay? This is like, yes, it is an elevation, but, you know, the worship place was up high where you could see it. And ascending is ascending into the presence of God. And, yes, there was some strenuous hiking if you came from Jericho, but this is talking about going before God's throne. And the question starts, who can even go up to that hill of God? It says, verse 3 further, who may stand in his holy place? Stand means that you stand before God with the right to stand before God. Okay? And, and that's hard. So who may ascend to even go there in the first place? And when you get there, who can even stand before the presence of God? Psalm 24 answers that with these uncomfortable questions. It says, He who has clean hands and a pure heart who does not lift up his soul to an idol or swear by what is false. Now, clean hands, I mean, one way you could look at it is your actions out there match your words of worship in here that you follow through. It isn't just, yes, I worship God and then I go and live my life the rest of the way I want. That's not the idea. Clean hands is your actions all week long. And a pure heart means an uncompromised inner life. Now what is your, when, you, when you're just kind of sitting there thinking, your mind drifts, what does it drift toward? What things do you think about? Because an uncompromised mind and heart means that I think about God. I don't always think about other things all the time, that, especially things that aren't necessarily good for me. So, who may stand before God, clean hands, pure heart, who does not lift his soul to an idol? So, an idol, again, you knew, I know you've heard this, it, an idol is anything that takes God's place. Because, you know, when we were in Sri Lanka some years ago, and there was like this rank idolatry with all of the incense and these priests and these weird sounds and all of that, it just was, it was spooky feeling. And having come from a Muslim country, that that saying a lot. (laughs) But I felt more spooky and ill at ease there than I did in in Egypt. And that's what I thought of. This is like idolatry. And this is what it looked like and felt like back in that day. And so we think, we don't have that going on around us, but do we? and again you 've you 've said heard that said that an idol's anything that that we put before God, and that 's true and and we often push that away okay i 'm not worshiping idols, so i 'm okay, but you know our possessions, our money, our future, our popularity, our prestige all those things can come before God, and so we come with these Clean hands with this pure heart, with not lifting our soul to an idol, and then it, it, it. Lastly, says, swearing falsely, and this is like like keeping your word, even when it's hard. You ever made a promise and then you're sorry you made it, but you got to keep your word, and and because your integrity matters, those those little things matter because they accumulate to make the big things, and so those are some pretty daunting. Characteristics, Wouldn't you agree? And I don't know about you. I feel inadequate when I think about ascending the hill of God when it's based on how I'm acting and speaking and thinking. And so I feel like, God, what can I do? What am I to do? I can't really, it's impossible to make myself holy enough. Now, some years ago, I was wondering if the version of the spiritual life that, that I was embracing, which, you know, wasn't, I don't think it was like some big thing, would go to church and read your Bible and try to, you know, basically be a good person and, and all that kind of stuff, but, but you know, in my life as a Christian, I'm going to tell you a little bit about that in a minute, but I became a Christian when I was 18, so this is after that, and I'm thinking, you know, something feels missing, and I said that to a mentoring older man, he goes, "It something is, and I'm like, what, what is it? you got to figure that out. I hate those kind of answers. So what am I missing? There has to be more. And I remember when I was a little boy, and this is really going to date me. If you can remember this commercial on TV, then we'll know how old each other are. But when I was a little boy, there was this this commercial for Trick Track. Anyone ever heard of that? See, I am the only one in the entire place. See, I'm older than everybody then, evidently. (laughs) Anyway, it was this, you know, how commercials are. So it's these boys are jumping and, and dancing around with glee as their race car goes to glory. And I, I think, oh, that would be the ultimate Christmas present. And so I save up all my Christmas money. And I go and I, I order by mail. didn't have online. Order by mail my little race car set, which had these pieces of track you laid down. And it comes and I pull, pull it out of the box. Of course, it took, you know, like weeks for that stuff to come. And, and so I put it, and I'm opening the box, and there's four little pieces of track, and this you know kind of battery-operated race car, batteries not included, so I had to go out and buy batteries. And, and so I remember feeling this, this disappointment opening the box, saying, is this it? Is this all there is? This is what I spent my Christmas money on? But the people on TV look so happy. I, I, by the way, I googled this thing, and there is a YouTube video of that, but it wasn't the commercial I saw. They upgraded it where it did flips and things, which might have been a little bit more fun. But, <laughs> but you know, the, I found this same anticipation disappointment dynamic applied throughout my life, and a lot of different things went, oh, if I could only get this car, oh, if I could only get this. and 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 then it doesn't... Last to satisfy, you're disappointed at some point. And here's the the illustration: is the same thing happened for me spiritually. So when I'm growing up, going to church almost every week, I found religion disappointing. I mean, I'm in a Christian church, but it was kind of religion. And, And when I was 18, I discovered what it meant to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, where he lived inside of me. And and so it was a completely different thing. I thought, you know, God, I went to church. Isn't that enough? And, and they explained patiently, threw in some Hal Lindsey End time stuff to frighten me. And, but, you know, I made this decision for Christ. And, and, and I, you know, I could tell over time there, there was some difference. But I had a purpose and a meaning that I didn't have. And so I would come to be excited enough about that that I thought this is what I want to devote my life to as a career, vocationally. And so I went to seminary and then went on into church ministry in a local church. And I accumulated battle scars along the way. Church staff, church attenders disappointed my ideals of church. And I wondered how Jesus' bride can be so mean and ugly sometimes. Anyone else ever? Well, you probably don't want to raise your hand, but... I know you do, and I wondered if I should join the fastest growing segment of Christians, which nowadays is those who believe but don't go to church, because they feel that church is letting them down, it's disappointing them, and that's how I felt, I wondered if I should stay in ministry, I remember telling Karen, you know, much more of this, and and this isn't, I'm going to find a different career. But I had that same question that I had with Trick Track. Is this all there is? Isn't there something more? And I went to God with people kind of coaxing me along that had understood some deeper things and God says, finally, I've been waiting for you. I've been here the whole time and I'm here beyond your expectations, beyond your disappointments. And so that... For me, it became a watershed moment of beginning a journey seeking God, seeking God's face rather than seeking church. You know there's a difference to seek God and not just seek church. I'm not saying that you shouldn't come to church, don't hear me wrong. But isn't the most important thing is what God does in our hearts? And how do we know that if we don't really spend time seeking him and being with him? So on your outline, point one, seeking God's face releases outcomes. Releases outcomes. Like the little girl letting go of the balloon. I want God, I want these results, I want this thing to turn out like this. And I have to seek God even when the outcomes aren't what I want. So are you disappointed in your spiritual life today? Have you ever come... To a crisis point. You know, there are some denominations, the Christian Missionary Alliance, when I was pastoring in Spokane, that was an alliance church. And I learned about the crisis experience where you kind of have this point where you become a Christian and then later you hit a crisis or a series of crises over the years that take you deeper. And I kind of liked that idea. It certainly fit what I'm saying this morning. So have you ever come to a crisis point in your spiritual life? in your walk, and you say, now I want something more than just always wanting results from God, always wanting an outcome. I want this thing to happen. Have you ever come to that crisis point where you realize there has to be something more? Because there is more. You can climb God's holy mountain and seek his face and not just his hand. Where the clean hands, the pure heart, the not... Lifting your soul to an idol to not swearing falsely are a natural outpouring of that relational dynamic that 's going on inside, so seeking god 's face releases outcomes. next section in first kings nineteen this we 're going to be in verse nine if you want to turn in your Bible we'll also be on well you can see it 's on the screen, so Elijah's running from the wicked. Queen Jezebel, and he has just experienced this incredible, um, in chapter 18, this victory on Mount Carmel, which reversed the course of Baal worship in Israel, by the way, but Elijah's not necessarily seeing all that, because he has this huge victory, and then Jezebel says, get him, and so he runs, he outruns the chariot, and he escapes into the desert. And that's where God meets up with him. So verse 9 of 1 Kings 19. The word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? I love this reply. This, is, this I would say this. He, he replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. And I am the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. Can you feel? Do you feel the disappointment? you feel the disillusionment? A big spiritual victory. And Jezebel's still trying to kill him. He has unfulfilled expectations. He wants his zeal for God to have an outcome, to be rewarded. So Elijah's expectations are, look what we just did. How come you didn't just strike her dead? She's not even a Jew. Now, how about Ahab, her husband? He's not acting much like a good king, is he? And so he wanted Jezebel and Ahab to be removed from the scene. He wants right worship restored. And doesn't that sound God-centered? But, you know, in this, you keep reading in the story, if you want to on your own, you'll, you'll find God has to meet Elijah in the small whisper, not in the big powerful earthquakes and winds, in that relational small still voice of God because he has to let go of his expectations to meet with God because he wants God to work a certain way and God reminds him later you're not the only one I have 400 more just like you it's not all about you but it sure sounded spiritual didn't it? we have our expectations too about how church should be. I mentioned this a few weeks ago in the new beginnings. we have expectations about what a transition might look like, or how it should be a lot like what it was. Or here's all the things that should change. But in general, we have expectation about how church should be, which programs are right and necessary, how they should be done, how people at church should look, how they should act, And we struggle to admit sometimes when we're really disappointed and we're angry, who we're really angry at may not even be that person, even though that's what we feel, or that church or that program not being what we want. We're really angry that God, just like Elijah, why aren't you showing up and doing something, God? Look at all this time and service I give you. How come you can't make things the way they should be? Because we want specific... Outcomes, The expectations set up the outcomes. Brendan Manning writes in this book called The Relentless Tenderness of Jesus, Expectations are our subtle attempts to control God and manipulate mystery. We can get so wrapped up in them that when Jesus breaks into our lives in new and surprising ways, we neither recognize him nor hear his message. And see, here's, here's one of the, the ways that God works. He doesn't work in spite of our wounds. God works through our wounds. So those things that we're trying to take spiritual aspirants to make the pain go away, God's saying, I'm going to meet you in the pain. That's where you will seek my face and you will find me. As we sang about, protect me in the storm, yes, but meet me in the storm too. Because to say, I, just, I don't want storms, God. Just let things kind of be nice. But that, that, that really isn't going to shape our hearts like God wants to. And so, number two on your outline. Seeking God's face releases expectations. Jesus is going to shine the light on what I value more than him. So seeking God's face releases outcomes and it releases expectations. We're kind of working backwards because the outcomes are really kind of based on our expectations, and our expectations are going to be reflected in our third point. But have you ever bought the wrong version of spirituality, or at least an incomplete one? What expectations are you holding right now this morning for how things ought to be? For yourself, for others like your spouse, your kids, your parents, your neighbors even for god you have expectations that you're holding on to about how god ought to be responding and how do you respond when those things are not, excuse me not getting met god is waiting for you on the other side of your expectations so he wants you to seek his face release the expectations which will help you release your outcomes and now in matthew 18, verse 1 through 3, we're going to have another glimpse of God's idea of what seeking his face might look like. Verse 1, Matthew 18. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And he called the little child and had him stand among them. And he said, I tell you the truth, unless you change and become like little children you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Wow. See, children in the ancient Near East had no rights, no privileges. They were property, if even that. And so what a great object lesson for spirituality and its wrong views by the adults. You know, when, when the disciples brought the children and Jesus and, and, and the, or actually, the disciples and some people brought children, the disciples said, Get them away because they don't, well, they have no part. This is adult conversations. Let the adults talk. Get the kids out of here. And Jesus kept bringing them in. Now he has one standing in front of him as an object lesson. He's powerless. This child is powerless in their society, he can't help himself. And you know, kids, they they live for today. They live more in the moment than we do. Do you remember what it felt like to sit there and your biggest worry was, you know, whether you would like the flavor of Kool-Aid your mother was going to make in an hour? And you'd play all day in the yard and come running in and it felt like all day, but it only been like an hour or two. Remember that? No? (laughs) You know, it's sad when one of the youngest guys in the congregation can't remember that. Okay, Rick. Rick, make him some Kool-Aid today, okay? (laughs) Surprise him. Because kids live more in the moment, more today. They I'm not saying they don't worry about stuff, but that's what they're, they're powerless. They're enjoying today without worrying about tomorrow. And children trust easily. You say, let's go here. And, and you know, you know, they they aren't like okay. Now, how will it know, What if the car doesn't start? Or, or are we going to have this on the way there? And, and you know, they trust easily. I like Brendan Manning again. He says they're like a child that doesn't ask where are you taking me, but sets off joyously hand in hand with his mother or father because it's Father's Day. But you know, come on, let's go. And they just go with you at least sometimes. And so that's what God's saying. This faith like a child, the innocence, the lack of ability to take care of themselves, live for today, enjoy now, enjoy me. So we no longer lay awake worrying about solving a problem. God didn't intend for us to respond trying to control the world around us. That's the next one is control. Think of all the ways, okay, now I'm going to do this, and then I have to do that, and I have to go tell this person that, and... And we're so all stirred up trying to control stuff. There has to be something bigger than our world of self. And Jesus says in verse 4 of chapter 18, Matthew, Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And humble does not mean that you think of yourself like a piece of dirt. Like you're just worthless, you have no value. That's not biblical. Humble, let's just say it's taking yourself out of the center. And you're focused on God. So number three, seeking God's face releases control. Seeking God's face releases control. See, when I'm focused on my rights, on my reputation, my outcomes, I'm not really releasing control, am I? But if I follow in the footsteps that Jesus says, you know, put yourself in the last place, then I won't be so surprised and shocked when others put me there. Because, you know, Jesus says, you're in last, so don't fight it. Just go with it and trust me. Seek my face. I'll take care of it. So are you willing to release control? See, releasing control means releasing expectations, doesn't it? That it has to be a certain way, which means then you're going to have to release certain outcomes, That you're hoping and expecting and even demanding will happen. And you're putting it into God's hand. Because only in the security of that relationship of love, which to me when someone says how do you define the Trinity or explain the Trinity, I love. It's a relational system first and foremost. And God invited us to be part of his perfect relational system. And so when I am living in the security of God's love, I'm a lot less worried about outcomes, expectations, performances, controlling everything because I'm living it with God's power, knowing he is in control. And I have that security, so out of the overflow of God's love, I can give to others because I'm not so focused on me and myself so, seeking God's face releases control and expectations and outcomes. And lastly, in Psalm 27:4, one thing I ask of the Lord: this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and seek him in his temple. See, Seeking God's face is not just a a casual inquiry on Sunday. It's searching diligently every day as if your very life depended on it. Because when it comes to spiritual life, the real reality of the inner invisible world of the spirit, your life does depend on seeking God, doesn't it? We forget because we can't see it. We think it's an add-on. It's not it's probably the bigger reality than the physical, tangible things we can see and hear and taste and touch. And it says this word beauty in Psalm 27, 4. It talks about gazing upon the beauty of the Lord. Now, guys, I don't know how you feel when you sit there and read that, but it's just sort of like, nah, I'm not 100% comfortable with the beauty of God like, like God's a woman. But, you know, when we speak of beauty in Scripture, it's the incredible splendor of God's majesty. It's like a breathtaking scene in nature. And it's hard for us guys sometimes to think of God as beautiful. But when we don't think of this incredible majesty and beauty of God, we miss a huge dimension of who God is. Because you know, I one of the things I sit there and, I, and I'll wait for one of those sun, sunsets in which you know it it turns kind of yellow and then it gets orange and then it gets red and then it gets pink and and you're like God, why do they have to to be so short? Or you know when the leaves of the maples turn flaming yellow and orange and red and and then then a wind comes and they're gone, or you know some weather pattern isn't good for, I want to see them there for months, you know, not just for a couple of weeks. You know, we, we, back when we lived more in the east, we once went on a tour, and it's like trying to time the peak foliage. It's like, I'm convinced in heaven, they're going to have long sunsets, we're going to have colors of trees, because this is God just showing off his beauty and majesty, and I don't have any problem as a man looking at a sunset or looking at fall colors, So why not enjoy God and who he is? Seeking God's face, number four, enjoys him. Enjoying God. It's not just all about doing the right behaviors, it's duty. You know, remember the Westminster Catechism? I know we're kind of evangelical free church, which kind of are like Baptists and we don't like Presbyterians. But Westminster Catechism says that the chief end of man is... To love God and see, look, where's Presbyterians in here? Enjoy him forever. Not like the little boy said, and annoy him forever. Enjoy him forever. So are you too busy to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and be overwhelmed in worship? Do you ever stop and just enjoy God, look at the beauty of that sunset or all the spring flowers or the fall colors, and just say, God, thank you that I can see and I'm learning as I kind of, you know, take a walk or something to notice the different unfolding wildflowers out there in the forest, you know, from the first big sunflower, wildflowery things to the purple ones that are out now, lavender that come after that, and, and just say thank you, God. Just let me enjoy who you are in nature as I look. I know, next this fall, some of you guys when you're out there walking around looking for that elk or freezing up in that deer stand, look around you. If you hear the elk bugling and your heart's racing as you're getting your gun ready, but just listen to that sound, the birds, and just thank God that you can hear when you hear beautiful music. And so those are part of of ways that we just enjoy God as we seek his face. Tell God how much you love him and how much he values you. And you know God even likes you. He doesn't just love you. He likes you. I'll close with this. There's a story of an old Christian man who had struggled all of his life with the sins of the flesh. And when he dies, he goes to heaven in this little fable story. And Jesus is bathing the filth off of his body with warm oil. And the man keeps protesting and saying, but I've lived this shameful life. I haven't honored you. You know, I'm just not worthy and all this. And Jesus answers him, don't bother me with those trivial things anymore. Just go over there now and enjoy. See, we can enter the joy of our master right now. And I'm going to give you a minute or so to do that silently. But we want to release control, release our expectations, release our outcomes of how we want things to be, and just enjoy excuse me, enjoy God in the present moment. So let's spend that short time as we end the service. We're gonna have another song, but just take a minute or two and and I, I told Lois, don't even play music. I just let's just be completely quiet. Talk to God privately in prayer on your own and and say, God, here's something I want to put in your hand that I've been trying to control. Here's something, an expectation I want to give you. Here's an outcome I've been waiting for and it hasn't come and I'm disappointed. Give it to him and just say to God, show me how to enjoy you this week. So let's take a minute or so, maybe two. And let's just talk to God privately on our own. And I'll close us in prayer. And then Gary and Lois will come on up and, and lead it. Lord, hear our prayers. Let us get past some of our incomplete versions of spirituality. And just enjoy you. Enjoy what you're doing. And let the love and unity of the spirit flow among us. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.